0: started if that's okay um, so I'm Jeremiah Gibson uh, I live in Quincy Massachusetts this is a suburb of Boston um, I work at a place called the South Shore sexual health center um, I have for those of you on the podcast I have a bunch of letters after my name uh, that made me some way more official than I actually am uh, the LMFT is licensed marriage and family therapist and then the CST is a certified sex therapist um, so those are kind of my my jams um, I do a lot of, uh, most of my work is with couples therapy uh, and, and working with sexuality. And um, obviously, uh, growing up in the Church of Christ, uh, there's, there's an obvious intersection uh, between sexuality and religion, um, and, and, and working with folks and, and caring for folks and with folks who grew up in, in religious contexts. So, uh, so, so this is a big uh, interest of mine. Um, and So um, I wanted to start with some art. Uh, I'm told that um, Sarah didn't do this last night, but I wanted to take a look at uh, some depictions of the scenes of uh, David and Bathsheba uh, from throughout the centuries. Uh, when uh, Joella reached out to me to, um, with with the topic for the year, talking about David, uh, saying, hey, do you want to speak again? I, I said, well, obviously I'm going in the direction and doing something with David and Bathsheba. So... Um, I don't want to, uh, uh, Sarah did some amazing work uh, with this text last night. I don't want to do too much um, uh, with uh, the text itself. But let's let's take a look at some pictures uh, and some artwork. This is from the uh, artist, uh, Louis-Jean-Francois uh, Lagrenet. I, I don't know. If you speak French, I apologize. <laughs> um, so this is, obviously, this is Beth Sheba. This is David here, kind of peeping in the... Corner here uh, with the bridge. Um, this is from the French Rococo artist Jean Leon Jérôme You know, same kinds of oh, same kinds of themes. Um, although this looks an awful lot like Southern Spain and not anywhere in Israel. Um, here's David again looking from the bridge. Um, no artwork from the 20th century, but there was uh, the movie uh, David and Bathsheba from 1951. Uh, Gregory Peck, Susan Hayward. Uh, Susan Hayward plays uh, Bathsheba as this femme fatale kind of character. You know, so when we look at how artists have portrayed, and particularly, um, particularly European artists have portrayed uh, the David and Bathsheba scene, when we look through these paintings, you know, what stands out? What are the some themes that we notice?
1: She seems quite what in charge
2: or um, seductive. Uh huh.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, seductive probably, but also that she is purposeful, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Which, as Sarah explained last night, is is very opposite from what actually happened, and mm-hmm. um, and what she referred to as king culture, mm-hmm. um, where uh, where men. Um, you know, use sexual relationships to enhance their power mm-hmm. um, and, and and as as a form of, of control, not just over women but, but over uh, the, the larger nation. Other thoughts
1: do we know that she had maids and you know everyone around her would be helping her with
0: her right. path? So, so, or, you know. so particularly in these first two paintings, there's a suggestion of class that Bathsheba comes from like this high-class family uh, that uh, she has servants, she has uh, she has um, folks that, that um, you know help her get dressed, those types of things. Uh, when in actuality, it's it's very very probable that um, uh, that Bathsheba was in a, a lower-class context, uh, definitely compared to where uh, King David was. Um, the the props the,
2: so. the the placement of David is interesting in those especially in the in the art mm-hmm. um, you know knowing the context you can figure out who it is but sure. otherwise mm-hmm. he, he's barely there mm-hmm. you know it, not just lurking although he's obviously doing that but he's barely there and then in cinematography um, he's just
0: he's a shadow mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's all about her, her mm-hmm. role. right. And she's front and central, uh, particularly here in this painting from 1770. Um, You know, women's sexuality is for the pleasure of male sexuality, as opposed to women's sexuality being for the pleasure of women. Other thoughts? Um, So there's no 21st century representations of David and Bathsheba per se, but there is this. <laughs> um, those of you watching, uh, listening on the podcast, uh, is a picture of uh, Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, there is this. This is an article that came out in the Houston Chronicle mm-hmm. in uh, February of this year, uh, which is uh, an expose of um, uh, two hundred Southern Baptist uh, ministers uh, being involved in some form of sexual misconduct. Uh, and these are about ha- pictures of most of them. I don't think they fit all of them in here. And these are just the ones that have been convicted. Uh, this doesn't include uh, instances that have uh, that have settled outside of, of, of court. Um, I live in Boston, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church has their own version of this. Uh, the Church of Christ, as Sarah mentioned last night, has a, a little bit more of a shadowy version of this. Uh, we are by no means exempt. Um, and then of course, uh, President Trump, the presidency. Um, I, um, women let me do whatever they want to them. They let me. I, they let me uh, grab them by the pussy. Uh, that kind of, of of language and ownership and dominance and power and complete disregard for um, uh, for for women's bodies. You know, when we think about consent, oops. when we think about consent, we think about it. Um, from the, perspective of, um, think about it from the perspective of sexual abuse, and also from the perspective of sex education. Uh, how do we want to uh, inform uh, healthy interactions for our, our teenagers? And um, how have you heard consent described to you, like defined to you? Someone give me a definition. It's, it's kind of a buzzword uh, for sure in the sex therapy world. Um, and couples therapy world. And I think it's, it's, it's entering into other arenas as well. So what definitions come to mind? Permission is kind of mm-hmm. right? Yep, permission. So, so, so an agreement. <laughs> an Both agreement. people are agreeing to do a particular thing.
3: Yeah. I guess I, I think of something Kind of different. It's um sort of a, a, an explanation by someone who was looking for an excuse, saying, "Well, you didn't stop this. You mm. didn't. You didn't. You know, like like there's some form. There there's some specific behavior or word that is supposed to stop it, and and yet." that's very blurry Mm -hmm. Uh, about, you know, um, from, you know, from the standpoint of abusers, that's, that's
0: very. So it's a complete, so, so, um, so consent is not a complete disregard for boundaries. Consent is a process of like respecting boundaries, uh, respecting kind of the, uh, what works, what doesn't work. And then what we see in the David and Bathsheba story, uh, potentially, in a way. And for sure, the three stories uh, on the screen with Lisa Ford, Trump, and then the abuse um, uh, scandal in the Southern Baptist Church uh, an abuse of these boundaries, boundary violation. I think all of us have, well, I
2: know all of us have um, experience with consent and mm-hmm. taking it for a moment out of the, uh, the, the sex realm. Anytime you go to the doctor, mm-hmm. you are given mm-hmm. consent yep. or the dentist. And so we all experience it in that way. Right. In, that, in the medical or therapy fields, it's informed consent. Yep. The idea that you know what's about to happen. And you, right. You say, that's fine. Whether or not you read it and actually are informed. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and in my world, also as an LMFT and uh, working with students here at Pepperdine for a number of years, uh, this is something that we talked a lot about. Mm-hmm educating all students about what consent is and what what you were mentioning is a a, an idea of a passive consent that it must have been okay because there was nothing one was doing to actively stop Mm -hmm. me yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, versus an active consent of you know that idea roughly analogous to the doctor's office sure I know what's happening here right and I'm on board we're on the same page
0: right right there's a ethical principle in the world of therapy called informed consent. So as, as a client of mine, um, I am letting you know ahead of time some uh, some details about what the couples therapy process looks like. Um, so I'm informing you uh, <laughs> there, there's nothing in small print, it's all in the same Times the Roman 12-point uh, font. Um, you read through it, you agree to sign it, um, so yeah. Um, couple problems with, with the idea of consent. One, one, of, the, one of the challenges is that, um, is that we let legal uh, advocates define consent and kind of be some of the leaders in, in, in defining what consent is, uh, which I think is fine to a certain extent, uh, but, but one of the problems is that, um, is that consent then becomes kind of this litigious process. It becomes this he said, she said. And one of the challenges, we saw this particularly in the of Ford Kavanaugh uh, stage, is it, it becomes, well, whose story are you going to believe? As opposed to a recognition that uh, there are years and years of, um, and centuries upon centuries, of, um, of practices of privilege uh, that, um, and, and power that eliminate conversations uh, around consent. Um, so. There's a very different process if someone is legally defining uh, what consent is versus relationally defining what consent is. And we'll move into the relational definition of this in a minute. But let's talk about Canada. Canada does sex way better than the U.S. does. Um, So um, uh, according to the Canadian government, a firm lack of an agreement uh, suggests that there is no consent that is obtained. Uh, So if someone says no and you blow through that, uh, that is a violation of consent. Um, an agreement is not mutual. So two people are talking for some uh, an example of that would be two people are talking about something and then one person speaks for another person. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. She's fine with that. Don't worry about it. Um, the, the agreement is is um, somewhat overt, but it's not a mutual agreement and kind of this passive agreement uh, Dave, that you were talking about. Um, someone is incapable of consent. Um, two things come to um, Actually three things come to mind Sexual violence uh, Youth, obviously uh, uh, I, I think that we will all agree that an 11 year old Is unable to consent uh, to, uh, to a sexual situation um, And then uh, I really like this language An induction of activity through uh, Someone abusing their position of power Trust or authority um, So when we're talking about sex We also have to think about power uh, and, and, and who has voice and how do we uh, give both people uh, in a particular uh, experience equal access to, to that voice, equal access to what happens. Um, but one of the challenges with this definition is that um, it so often uh, does what we do in the church and even what we do in the sex therapy field. We define sexual practices based off of what it isn't, what sexual health isn't and we aren't particularly good at talking about what sexual health actually is. Um, And today, one of the things that I wanna do is to give us a a definition and and, and some specific specific tools uh, to think about how to incorporate uh, consent into into primarily our our primary relationships, our long-term committed relationships. Um, I love this definition. Uh, This is from the University of Michigan. Uh, University of Michigan is uh, one of the best uh, schools in the U.S. at addressing issues of sexuality. Uh, uh, their sexual assault prevention team is really, really good. They also have um, uh, they also have a high quality sex therapy training program uh, that I have some uh, friends that have gone through. Uh, so I'm going to read this aloud for those listening to the podcast. Consent is a clear and unambiguous agreement. Express outwardly through mutually understandable words or actions to engage in a particular activity. Um, so, what I want to do for the next forty minutes that we have is take some of these words and parse some of these out. Uh, that in this definition, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different, um, eight different tools of consent just packed onto this little three-line definition uh, that I wanna go through and kind of talk about kind of item by item. And I'm um, and, and curious about your feedback along the way. Um, as we're doing this, uh, please feel free to ask questions. Um, please feel free to, uh, to to make comments. I'd love to, this is definitely a, a, a collaborative conversation to, uh, to have. Um, so as I mentioned that and in, in, um, when we talk about consent, we talk about consent primarily through three arenas. One through the sexual assault, sexual violence arena. Um, sorry, uh, two arenas, I mean. One through sexual assault, sexual violence arena. And then the second one in terms of how we educate uh, our teenagers, how we educate our college students. Uh, there, there's a growing movement, particularly in, in uh, college campuses. Uh, ACU actually, Adeline Christian just, just hired Uh, Someone recently to kind of uh, oversee this uh, looking at uh, sexuality sexual misconduct uh, those those types of things And what I want to do today the second thing is I want to move Conversations of consent from those arenas and into the world of our long-term relationships uh, Into the world of our marriages uh, into the world of our partnerships uh, and think about um, how to um, How to practice to incorporate tools of consent in improving our long-term relationships. Um, so I want to start with the idea of an agreement that consent is ultimately an ongoing conversation. Uh, it's a conversation between between two people and uh, one of the reasons that, and we'll talk about this in a bit, one of the reasons that I think that this is uh, that this is challenging in longer-term relationships and in marriages is that, you know, the longer that you're together, uh, the easier it is to rely on uh, on past experiences, on uh, on, on assumptions, on uh, just just kind of trusting that oh well this is where, this is kind of the way that we've done it. Um, so consent is an ongoing conversation. We're 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 continually being intentional about talking uh, these things out. It's a negotiation. It's a negotiation of needs. Um, it's a negotiation of wants. Um, there is, uh, there's giving and receiving, so um, not just in the context, so, so not just what can I give in a situation, but also what can I receive. Um, just as a heads up, I probably should have uh, done this at the beginning. I apologize for not doing this. Uh, there will be some sexually explicit material in this, uh, whoever is editing this, if they want to move that to the top. Um, but uh, there will be some sexually explicit material uh, through this conversation. I will be using uh, sex and a sexual uh, interaction uh, kind of as a metaphor for how we might do this in other contexts. So, um, so in the context of sex, then, you, you know, what, what are some things that I would like to give to my partner in a sexual relationship, or that I'd like to do to my partner? What are some things that I'd like to receive? What are some things I'd like my partner to do to me? How do, how do we talk about those types of things? Um, and then when we're talking about uh, these agreements, I, I encourage us, particularly with, with things invite, uh, inviting this much vulnerability, uh, to really uh, limit the amount of, con- uh, the amount of time uh, that we have for conversations, particularly as we're, um, uh, particularly if talking overtly about sex is new to your relationship. Uh, maybe limiting the, the amount of time you talk about this in 10 minutes um, at, at, at a time. Uh, Game of Thrones fans, Matt, can you explain what's going on in this picture? <laughs> <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so uh, on the podcast I have a picture of Jon Snow looking deeply into the eyes of Agrette. Um Someone's going to have to email me and tell me the context about what this is. Uh, But when we think about, you know, one of the challenges that we have in the church is that we don't have very good models for how to talk about sex. Uh, The model that we have for talking about sex is, well, just don't do it until you get married. And then once you're married, you figure it out. Um, So that leaves a whole bunch of holds. And one of the holds that's been filled uh, um, has been Hollywood, has been TV, um, has been, uh, the pornographic industry, has, uh, the sex work industry, has uh, been a part of this, too. You know, we learn how romance works, we learn how sex works uh, through, through these types of interactions. So um, so I want to throw this up here, uh, this idea of eroticism. So one of the reasons that scenes like this work is that eroticism, so, so like, like intense combination of sexuality and vulnerability, requires two things. It requires folks to be attracted to each other. And then it requires some level of obstacles. So um, God only knows what kind of war uh, Jon Snow has just fought. Uh, uh, I'm sure Greg was was awesome in this as well. They're getting together. Oh, we're still alive, and, and and we're kind of using this this obstacle of like overcoming death to create this this I- incredible amount of, of of romantic tension. And and uh, well, to take that one step further. Yep in the story, they're not supposed to be together. It's right. Romeo and Juliet. Ah, so it. it's two different tribes or yeah. peoples and they're breaking all sorts of obstacles. Yep. And and, and yeah. that and that creates uh, that, that creates the eroticism. And yep. and, 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 and uh, writers are really good at, at writing that in to movies and to into and screenplays. It, 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 so it keeps us watching. We want to see people uh, connect, we want to see people get together. The problem is once we make is when we make that our expectation. Uh, that this is how sexuality works. Uh, we just kind of fall into it. Uh, it just kind of happens. We see each other from across the room. We run into each other's arms and, and uh, We're significantly disappointed when our sex sites don't actually work like that. Um, so one of the other things about consent is that this is not a romantic process. Uh, this is work. Uh, this is a um, you know, this is a conversation that will be really hard at times, um, so uh, it, it requires intentionality, um, it requires a, a, a level of depth uh, that's very different from the way that, that sex and, and romance are um, shown on TV. Questions so far? Okay. Um, so I want to go from the beginning of the definition, so see, these, these agreements are clear first and foremost, um, and uh, one of the things that contributes to clarity is that we're only speaking for ourselves. Uh, we're not speaking for our partners. Uh, we're only speaking for, uh, for, for our own needs. Um, we're not speaking for what we think our partner wants. Uh, we're, we're not uh, for, for what our assumptions are. Um, that's a bit of a shift for us in the church, I think. Because in the church, we're taught that by being relational, we're focusing on the other person. We're doing whatever the other person is uh, can 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 do to, to make them comfortable. We're taught not to be selfish. Selfish is a selfish is a no no. Um, but but in the world of uh, in creating positive sexual experiences and positive relational experiences, we need to know what we want. We need to know what we need out of a, out of a particular experience. Uh, we want to know kind of what our our images are, what we uh, what we fantasize about, what we dream, what we hope. Um, How do we tap into those those types of uh, things? And then the other thing is, um, three questions that come after this. What are we going to say yes to? What are we going to say no to? Uh, And then what are we going to say maybe to? uh, In terms of receiving information from our partners. Um, I'm aware that it's, we're about 30 minutes in. I have worksheets, if you guys would like some. Um, So I have these questions on these worksheets. These are for your eyes only. Please, uh, if you want to share these with your partners, please do that. Uh, But um, you know, this is also really uh, kind of personal information uh, for us to share. And I'd like you to take a couple of minutes. Uh, Let you take a couple minutes to jot down some notes about what are your needs. So, what are what are the non-negotiables for how I want my my body to be. Uh, to be treated, for how I want to advocate for my body. Uh, What are my wants? What are some things that, hey, this would be really nice if this could happen? Uh, What what do I dream about? Oh, in a a perfect scenario, uh, I would be able to uh, kind of be in this type of scenario. Um, And then on the back of it, for uh, those of you uh, on the podcast, are uh, pictures of naked bodies. There's there's sketches, don't freak out. uh, and what I want to ask you to do with this is, on the bodies that you have, is to, um, to shade in the areas that you're okay receiving touch in, in any kind of situation. Uh, I am okay, in any kind of situation, having someone come up and put their hand on my shoulder. Uh, I'm totally good with that. Uh, I am never okay uh, with someone slapping me on the butt. Uh, that's an absolute no-no, in any kind of situation. In those situations where you're uh, in, um, you're not comfortable receiving any kind of touch, if you'll mark X's through those parts uh, of your body, um, and then uh, there um, there's a lot of gray areas. Some of this is situational. Uh, maybe in a particular context, yeah, I'm I'm okay having a foot massage. Um, but you you know what? If if I've just gotten through uh, working out and if I haven't taken a shower, no, stay away from my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so maybe take a minute or two uh, to jot down some notes, and more importantly, kind of once this is over, take some time uh, maybe to go through this uh, on your own, and then also with your partner, um, in um, hopefully in, in in a in a private and a set apart conversation. This part of the podcast needs some really funky music, <laughs> yeah. yeah, or like a saxophone play yeah, 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 yeah. Again, if you're listening on the podcast, feel free to take some notes about what are your needs, what are your wants, what are your fantasies, what are you willing to say yes to, what are you willing to say no to, and then what are you willing to, um, to say maybe, what's, what's contextual, what are you willing to negotiate in certain situations. One of the side projects that I do is that I run a nonprofit uh, that just launched, uh, Professional Association. And um, I have a woman that I work with who uh, is essentially my consultant. And uh, she's introduced me to this acronym, W4H. Who, what, when, where, how. Um, and when we're talking about consent, one of the other things that we want to think about is, this is an unambiguous process. We want to be as clear as we possibly can. Uh, so we want to be clear with um, we want to be clear with, with what we want touch. We want to be clear with um, with with where um, you know what do we want touching in in a a where situation. When do we want this happening? Um, my assumption is that for uh, most of us, if not all of us, listening to the podcast, who is going to be our partner. But who is 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 an important question, and then a how. How do we want um, our, our bodies uh, engage with? How do we want to be touched? Uh, how do we want to be talked to while this is happening? Uh, what's, what's, the, what's the process um, behind this? Um, and I think that um, I think that giving as much objective information as we can uh, is, is, is really, really helpful. Um, I would also encourage you, as part of uh, figuring this out, to, to explore your own body. Uh, Self touch is a, uh, is an incredibly important thing. Um, masturbation is an important thing. You know, this is how we learn what feels good for our bodies, so that we can then effectively communicate that uh, to to our partners. Hey, you know what? Um, when I um, my, my <laughs> My, my whole left side of my body goes numb in a, in, a, in a particular situation. Just wanted to let you know about that. It feels really good. Uh, can you do this in this particular context? Um, so um, one of the challenges with this, again, is that um, our churches haven't done a very good job at explaining what sexual health is. Um, and in the um, couples that I work with, uh, particularly those from religious backgrounds, they haven't been given opportunities to, to do this. I mean, how many of you have been given opportunities to kind of explore some of these questions? I'm getting some shakings of heads. Um, so don't be afraid of, of couples therapy, don't be afraid of sex therapy. Uh, it's not a taboo, uh, it's, it's, it's a challenging process at times, but it's also incredibly rewarding. Um, I also have two books on the screen. One is Paul uh, Joannidis's uh, Guide to Getting It On, uh, which I think is probably the best introductory primer to sex. That's uh, a big book; it's like 500 pages, um, but it's it's very it's it's, it's very, um, encompassing. And then uh, the book Emily Nagoski's "Come as You Are" uh, is particularly good uh, at, at talking about women's sexuality um, and encouraging women to uh, um, to advocate for for sexual health, something that um, really has never been done. Uh, in, uh, in in the in the context of it, at least um, at least modern uh, history. So uh, Nagoski's book is really uh, really transformative. I want to talk for a minute about um, what are we, what are things that prevent consent from happening. Before going on to the rest of the words that that were um, highlighted on the screen, um, I mentioned that. Um, that in long-term relationships, consent can be hard because we fall into patterns, uh, we fall into habits of interaction. And those habits of interaction are the things that, that keep, uh, uh, they keep our relationships going. Uh, they keep our families going, it creates security for us, it creates a sense of knownness for us. Um, and one of the things that I commonly hear from my couples is this idea, oh, well, I just know that my partner's gonna do this. Hmm. Well, how do you know that your partner's gonna do this? Well, I just know, I just do. Um, that that interaction is referring to some sort of unconscious recognition of of the habits that we develop. Um, And one of the problems with that is, is that all habits can be broken. If you assume, or if I assume that my partner is going to uh, respond in a certain way and act out of that way, I don't give her the chance to to change. I limit her uh, ability to grow um, in that particular situation. Uh, I also prevent myself from, uh, from, from growing, uh, from, from being surprised, from potentially experiencing new experiences with my partner if I operate out of assumptions. So, um, so be mindful of the times that you think or say out loud, well, I just know that that's what you do. Uh, because, no, you don't. Um, uh, it takes take some time to be more curious uh, when those, those thought processes come up. Uh, second thing that comes to mind is shoulds. So expectations about what it is to be, um, you know, what uh, husbands should do, what wives should do. Um, What are some of those expectations, actually? What are expectations about what husbands should do, what wives should do? And where did we learn these from? As y'all are thinking, I can think of one that immediately comes to mind. Men are supposed to be dominant. Yeah. Uh, men are supposed to take charge of things. Um, uh, and in a, in a sexual context, that means that men are supposed to initiate sex. Those are some of the shoulds that immediately come to mind around, around masculinity, at least for me. I'm curious about another folks.
3: there's the old idea that women should
0: submit. Sure, yep, right, that's a complementary idea. Um, and the whole idea of complementarianism that, well, well, men should take this particular role, then women should take this particular role. Okay. is not an idea of working together, it's an idea of men saying, oh, well, I'm gonna do this, and women not really being left with an option <laughs> of, of, of doing anything but submitting if the uh, relationship is to, um, to continue. Say the question one more time. What are some of the shoulds that we've learned about um, how to operate in a relationship as a man, how to operate in a relationship as a woman? We're getting awfully personal in here. Um, the, the idea that like we have to initiate an orgasm from the other partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That is. Right. And as a man, if you don't finish that or do yep. or that then that, that your masculinity is hurt or right you're not yeah a successful partner the woman's orgasm is the man's responsibility absolutely yeah um when in actuality if we're talking about orgasm which is probably a whole other hour worth of conversation <laughs> um our own orgasm is our own responsibility uh, men your orgasm is your responsibility women your orgasm is your responsibility Um. And, and, and right. And when we kind of operate out of uh, what you just explained that uh, that creates anxiety. Yeah. Uh, that, that brings a lot of pressure into sexual situations for both partners. Um, and uh, a lot of folks don't have a way of talking through that. And talking themselves out of that. Um, I mentioned, um, I alluded to this earlier, but this idea of privilege, this idea of entitlement, things are, things are owed. Uh, to me, um, either because I'm a penis owner, um, because I, um, um, because I'm a vagina mm-hmm. owner at times, um, and and I also put it in here for um, those on the podcast, uh, the art of being right. Um, one of the um, one of the ways that conversations in general can get really shut down is when we get into arguments about you know, well, which is the right perspective. Um, and, and there's a couples therapy adage that uh, it's not about who's, uh, what, what's more important, being right or the relationship. Um, and um, very often this, this fight about whose uh, voice is privileged, whose story is privileged, uh, that gets in the way of uh, having healthy interactions. Um, and then uh, the fourth thing, and, and I think that the, the, the church has been highly complicit in this, is that just the absence of information. Um, you only know what you know uh, at, at, at any at any given point. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I would, uh, I, I began uh, this, this journey towards, um, towards sex therapy three or four years ago. And I would say that before that, and maybe even some along the way, that there were probably just also in the name of being personal, there were probably some sexual experiences that were not consensual. Um, in the process I didn't have the language I didn't have the tools I didn't have the emotional capacity to know kind of how to talk about this and how to process this uh, with with my partner Um, and um, you know I I don't know what I don't know at the time and now that I kind of have some of this information trying to use that to to create different processes uh, for for, for, for doing uh, doing relationship including sexuality Um, This is Linda, Linda K. Klein. She's fantastic, uh, she's a good friend. She recently published a book called Pure. I highly recommend reading this. Um, I wanna read, so so Linda interviews uh, several hundred women who grew up uh, in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s in the purity culture and talks with them about, uh, draws out some different themes about how how, uh, sexuality has been limited and also how uh, women work themselves out of that and work themselves into ways of developing their own relationships with their bodies. Sometimes in the context of the church, sometimes out of the context of the church. Um, I want to read an excerpt uh, from that, if that's okay. Um, This is kind of long. Linda writes in her introduction, "'When I was young, I thought God was in the hand "'that scooped me up when I joined the evangelical church. The hand cradled me, and I felt safe and protected. I believed that God lived here, in this one religious expression, with all of its interpretations, rules, and regulations, including those that felt wrong to me even then, like the purity ethic. But as I grew older, the hand began to squeeze me, and I became uncomfortable. I tried to make myself smaller, squishing myself down so I could fit inside of it, but all the ways in which I was not the right, quote unquote, kind of Christian woman, Squeezed through between the hand's fingers, and I was exposed. I tried cutting parts of me off, the appendages that made it more difficult to fit, but I didn't have the guts to really cut them off. I just hid them under my clothing, like a character in a B movie, hiding an arm inside of a shirt, and pretending the dangling sleeve means it isn't there. Finally, I decided I'd stretch out, make myself some rum. Maybe, I thought, the hand will loosen a little in response, but instead, the hand tightened its grip. More and more of me came oozing out between its fingers until one day I came bulging out between its thumb and its pointer finger like a giant bubble, and with a plop I dropped, fell from grace, and landed flat on my face. This is the experience that a lot of us have, uh, particularly a lot of us that grow up in this uh, culture. Women, and I also argue men, Linda and I have talked about this, uh, that, that, that men have some similarities with this as well, uh, of, of that, um, you know, emotional experience of trying to find, um, trying to discover their authentic selves or sexual selves and doing so under some of the um, context of church uh, that, that continue to say, don't do this, or do this in very limited, very specific context. And then if you fall outside of that, that very limited particular context, um, you know, the guilt and the shame that comes with that. Uh, so, so this is some of the, um, kind of interpsychic stuff that's going on that makes these conversations about consent really, really challenging uh, to do in, in, in adult relationships. So I uh, highly recommend uh, pure uh, Linda K. Klein. Um, let's get back to the definition here. A clear uh, consent is a clear and unambiguous agreement expressed outwardly through mutually understandable words or actions. So let's talk about those uh, last five words, last seven words. Um, consent is something that is expressed outwardly. It's, um, it's good to kind of think through and maybe even to write out what you, what you want, what you need, but at some point, this needs to be a conversation between you and your partner. Um, one of the things that I recommend is to schedule uh, times to talk. Hey, you know what? I'm wondering if it's okay. Uh, this idea came to mind that I would really like to process through. I'm wondering if we could schedule some time after dinner tonight. Uh probably just need like five minutes. Um, finding some language like that. Uh, to um, to talk uh, and doing it in a non-sexual situation, um, so doing it over a, a, a cup of tea, um, or um, you know in, uh, in in your living room, you know something like that. Um, there's a term in sex therapy that we use called sexual script. Uh, basically, sexual script means is is a catch-all for how do we want sex to work, who do we want to start it. How do we want it to finish? What do we want to do in between? Um, think about think about sex, and for that matter, parenting, uh, finances. Uh, think about it as a play. Uh, person A does this. Person B does this. Person A responds in this way. Person B responds in this way. Make sure you get in the um, the the, the, per, the parenthetical references, uh, the stage directions. Uh, take some time to kind of uh, work work through that together, um, and and. Um, and feel free to write some, some things out, and again, this is a. Um, when you do this, anxiety will come up, particularly if you're not practiced at this. So, uh, so give yourself plenty of breaks. Uh, this is an issue with me. Don't try to just like barrel through it. <laughs> give your give uh, give yourself the opportunity to take some timeouts if you need to, um, to take some breaks away from the conversation. But but do my my hope is that. When you take a timeout, you also schedule some time uh, to, to return to the conversation. Um, consent is mutually understandable. So two words here: mutually um, understandable. So so mutually. How do we know that we've made an agreement? Uh, this is something that I ask my my couples uh, quite a bit, and often ends up being its own session. Uh, but I'd encourage you to talk with your partners about how do we know that we've made an agreement about anything. <coughs> Um, the mutual part is really important and, and is also a, a nice, um, um, Paul gets here eventually too, uh, in, in the New Testament. The value of pleasure is for both partners, um, both partners getting something out of this. So making sure that we're, uh, in some sort of agreement that, uh, the experiences, the sexual experiences that we create, uh, that, that, that both partners get something out of this, um. And that this isn't, uh, and and my, my hope is that you do this enough, and this moves away from sex being an obligation, and into something that 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 both people um, that both people can enjoy. Um, ask questions. Be curious. If you don't understand something about your partner's experience, ask them about it. Don't fill in the gaps. Um, but um, hey, you know you 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 mentioned. Um, the, the impact of, uh, you mentioned the impact of your family, and how your family kind of impacts us. I, I, I'm curious to learn a little bit more. Um, so always ask questions in times where you uh, don't understand. And thinking about also the, because um, we have a lot of different stories about how sexuality works. Uh, our stories uh, based off of how we present as, as gendered people, as men, as women, um, as, as, as white people, as people of color, um, are our families, of the regions that we grew up in. Uh, there's, 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 a lo- there's a lot of potential material to tap into here um, as a way of getting to know your partner and as a way of giving your partner and yourself spaces to share your story um, and, and, and to grow. Um, consent is a verbal process. Uh, there, there, there are some... Um, consent is a verbal process. Uh, so we're thinking about um, using words here. How do we verbally initiate sex? You know, not kind of this this passive, oh, we're just kind of in bed, and then we start uh, kind of rolling around, and oh, I guess we're having sex. Um, but but, but how, how are we intentional about making sure that we're both on the same page, uh, that sex is something that we're interested in and that sex is starting? Um, one of the things that... One of the ways I think that pornography gets sex wrong is that nobody talks in a pornographic scene. There are a lot of noises being made, but, but nobody is really talking to each other. And I think that talking to each other through out a sexual experience, um, hey, that feels really good, hey, what do you need? Hey, is it okay if we do this? I think that that is really, really important, uh, even as it's also a, a, a potentially stressful experience. Uh, to to be able to do. You may experience an enormous amount of vulnerability doing this. Um, And we'll talk about some ways to kind of work through that vulnerability here in a minute. Um, The words yes and no are also really important. Uh, Thinking about the variety of ways that we can say yes. Actually, yes, this is something that I would want to do. Uh, No, actually, I'm not interested in this particular thing right now. Um, What are your options for, for, for saying no? And how can you say yes and no in ways that are respectful? Uh, to the to the other person and uh, would encourage you to, to take some time uh, maybe to, to write out um, Hey, you know, honey, how would you like to hear no? Um, how when when I say no, when is it most effective to you and then when you receive the word no If you're the recipient of the word. No, how, how do you accept that word? Uh, not not have some sort of like emotional temper tantrum uh, cause it didn't get your way, but how do you? Um, how do you accept that? When you say no, this is what you can expect from me. Uh, kind of working out those types sort of agreements. Uh, words and also actions. Um, I had a supervisor in college tell me that sex is play therapy for adults. Um, I really like that, that language. Sex is about play. How do we play together? How do we, what are ways that you flirt? Uh, take a minute to, to think about that. Um, what are some ways that you, that you flirt with your partner, with your spouse? Um, and then how do you develop meaning around around that, that flirt, flirtatious activity? Um, be clear with each other about what physical activity leads to sex, and what physical activity doesn't lead to sex. Um, you know, when we start um, making out, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that sex is happening. Sometimes we're just making out, we're making out, and, 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 and that's all that we really need in that situation. Um, hey, you know, uh, when you touch me in a particular location um, and, and um, you know, I, I touch you back, that's our kind of physical agreement uh, that we are uh, kind of moving into, into something sexual and having conversations about that. Um, there's, uh, there's some folks I work with who have the idea of a sexual menu, so identifying what's on and off the table. Uh, and that gives us back to, to the bodies that we have um, you know, um, what are, what are activities that we enjoy to do together? Uh, what are activities that are hard-nosed? Um, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm uh, good, um, doing, uh, you know, I'm good doing missionary-style sex, but once we move into oral sex, you know what, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. So can we leave that off the table for now? Um, that might be a way of kind of, of, of working through that together. Um, and then, um, The book, Guide to Getting It On, is is a really good resource for giving a lot of ideas uh, for the the, the breadth and depth of what can be on a sexual menu. Um, I want to take a minute to talk about this idea of aftercare. So So aftercare is after you agree that a sexual experience is over, recognizing that it's not actually over. That there may be some stuff, particularly if we're intentional with each other, about talking through a sexual experience about really like sharing ourselves during a sexual experience stuff might come up for us um, and it's really important to tend to the relationship after a sexual relation after a sexual experience is over so how do we um, you know how, how, how do we hold each other what conversations do we have um, how do we want the next 10 minutes 15 minutes after a sexual experience is over to look to really care for the relationship uh, to really tend to um, you know parts of us that, uh, that that were potentially uncomfortable, potentially exhilarated, uh, and it also gives you the chance to process. Hey, what worked for you? Uh, what do you want to do again? Hey, actually, let's not do, do that again. I'm glad that we experimented. I'm, I'm glad that we did that out of the way. Uh, but but, but let, let's never go back to that again. Uh, it gives you the chance to kind of process together. Um, one more look at the definition here. Consent is a clear and unambiguous agreement expressed outwardly through mutual un- mutually understandable words or actions to engage in a particular activity. Those on the podcast, the phrase particular activity is bolded, And this is a recognition that each sexual experience may be different. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the themes of folks that come in uh, for sex therapy is that very often the ways that they do sex is it's it's the same way it's it's on repeat. You know you go through the same motion, you uh, go through uh, the same process of doing sex, and um, there are times when when that may not work for a person. Uh, there are times that, that may work for, for both people, but uh, you um, how do you create enough openness, enough adaptiveness uh, to ensure that each experience might be different. Um, I put the question up here. Um, you know, as as you as you practice this more, uh, as you practice uh, incorporating consent and some of the principles that we're talking about into your relationships more, um, there may be times when you agree that hey, it's it's okay for sex just to happen. You know, we're agreeing to set apart a specific time each week, uh, and um, you know, whatever happens, uh, happens. Um, but but we're, we're committing to spending that time um, in, in, in intimately uh, mm-hmm. together. Um, and then when are also times that sex requires more intentionality? Um, hey, um, um, I was going to give an example, but I'll keep going. Um, and then I wanted to end here that I think that this can be really important, not just for sex, but for a lot of different facets of our life. Uh, there's, a pro- uh, there's a therapy term called parallel process. That means that if one thing is happening in one situation, it often happens in, in other types of situations as well. So the way that we talk about sex, then, is also the way that we talk about and practice parenting. It's also the way that we practice and talk about finances. Uh, it's also the way that we talk about a division of labor um, and, and, and how those decisions, uh, how those decisions get made. Um, so, uh, these, these principles that we're talking about can also be applied to each of the categories that I listed. Uh, parenting, finances, division of labor, um, uh, other administrative types of tasks. So. Um, questions and comments? I've got probably five minutes or so for any kinds of comments. Uh, let me check in with you all, actually. Let me do some aftercare with you all. Because, uh, A, I know if you a bunch of information at you, this is probably a two hour <laughs> uh, uh, workshop uh, condensed into one. Um, what information stuck with you? Well, I can't help but think about just um,
1: the amount of conversation that you described. Mm-hmm. And I've been married for 60 years. Uh huh. This would have been really good to know <laughs> 60 years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it wasn't much <laughs> so, I think, I mean, it's really amazing to me all the progress, I guess you'd call it, yeah. being intentional and, um, you know, really um, being aware of,
0: of yeah. so much of this. Yeah, so
1: I, you're doing good work. Thank you.
0: And again, just want to reiterate um, if, for others that have had that. Uh, Experience in here. You do the best that you can with the knowledge that you have. Oh
1: yeah, it's worked for sixty years. Right,
0: right. Other things that came up for folks. Uh, Or no, that's not the right question. What information uh, landed on you in a a particularly meaningful way?
3: Just the whole idea that all of it has to be intentional. Yeah.
1: You know, be intentional
3: have to know what you want and you have to be able to communicate it and there's mm-hmm. so much uh, so many assumptions made about well you did this that was, this and, you know I mean there's right. so much of that right and in a relationship that's maybe even been going on for many many years that
1: sure
3: yeah if you're not intentional, Randy Carlson will be pro <laughs> <laughs> intentional life yeah yeah yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I think in the church that, that so much of our identity as to who we are is shaped around our gender. Men do this. Women do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that those assumptions are, A, limiting to the full capacity of what masculinity and femininity means, and also shuts down conversations um, and, and, and kind of prevents that, that level of intentionality. So Thinking we know our partner. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's
1: resonating. Yeah. We think we
2: know what
1: he's, you know, I think
2: I know what he's thinking what he's going to do. Right. Or
0: wants. Right. Because we don't talk about it. Yeah. So I'm just going to assume. Yeah. Right, which is an evolutionary process. It's a way that we survive yes. and, and, and kind of get through things. Um, but, um, you know, and it's, it's evolutionary biology often runs in the face of relational health because relational health requires us to do things that run antithetical to what our bodies naturally want to do which is make the assumptions not have the conversations keep peace
1: right. and it's and it's scary to think about doing the vulnerability involved i mean i've, I've read fernay brown's book and yeah, you know yeah. I, I you know and that's a really scary place and if you've been <laughs> doing the same thing for 20 years and now you want to open that little Bit up and right. you're in your sixties and you're going, eh, just leave it be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so, yeah, so weird, you, you know. Some of the things you're saying, my mind's taking me down a lot of, you know, paths. Yeah. of Where that could go. Yeah. And maybe that's not a good thing. Don't think too hard.
0: <laughs> well, but, but 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 exactly. And and my, my, my hope is that that's exciting. But I'm I'm curious if that's also, a little, as you said, a little bit terrifying.
1: It is. But it's exciting, sure. You know, because you know there may be some resentment or
0: needs unmet, but right. you, gotta, you you really want to <laughs> tear into this
1: one, <laughs> on right? Right. I don't know. So it's. Or there's also, do you really want to continue a status score? Yeah, the same. Yeah. That's yeah. also scary. No, it sure. is. Sure. But it's 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 known. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, as you're saying, institu-
0: institutions are built around the maintenance of the status quo. Yeah. Uh, that's as, as large as the church, uh, mm-hmm. that is as small as your couple relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I guess that, that's kind of what I mean by the evolutionary biological mm-hmm. um, perspective of you know, how does this relationship survive? Mm-hmm. You know, surviving and thriving are two different things. Yes.
1: It's true.
0: So, and this is... Um, I, I see this daily in, in my work with my couples and also doing this in my own relationship as well. Right. And,
1: and There's just this this sound in my head saying, is it really safe to do this at this age and at this long into it? You know, that's sure. a weird conversation my head's having right now. Sure,
0: yeah. sure. Yeah. And, and, and I'd be curious how many others yeah. in the room and on the podcast are having that thought too.
1: And when you say podcast, what are you talking about?
0: So this is being recorded, right? Uh, and this is going to be on uh, the Pepperdine podcast. Okay, so for, for it's, it's the where this is recorded. Okay, it's not it's another not PBL, podcast. I mean, it's the harbor, a mm-hmm. bunch okay. of ships. Okay. So, did I get that right? right, I don't want to give bad information. Anything else? I'd love to continue conversations with you. I have business cards. Um, here's my uh, contact info. Uh, that's the website of my company, ssshealthcenter.com. Uh, my email address, Jeremiah Gibson LMFT, at gmail.com. Uh, and then my number, six one seven six five seven nine seven nine three. 657 And I have business cards if you guys are lucky to.